Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Black History Month and Thomas Sowell. Bob McEwen joins me in studio to talk about the 1776 Project and more, and 312 billion reasons to reject the coronavirus bill. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. Well, we're nearing the end of February and normally every year in my show, whether, whether it was radio at Salem or here at this studio, I do some tribute to Black History Month. And I want to just posit a couple of thoughts and then share with you something really, really cool about Thomas Sowell. To start with, other years I've had black conservative friends of mine, people who are very active politically, uh, who are African-American, to on the show at some point during Black History Month talking about America's decision to have a Black History Month, whether they support it or they don't. Certainly many conservatives say that, you know, there really shouldn't be a Black History Month because, you know, there's just a, um, it, it's just, we don't honor all sorts of other groups. You could have, you know, other groups who experienced some forms of discrimination. They, they kind of think that the uh, Black History Month tends to, tends to be uh, dragging out or um, singling out as one group. But I will say, given America's history, given the history of slavery and then segregation, there is an, it's understandable that we have Black History Month and I like, but it depends how you celebrate it. Which leads me to my next point. Some of the prominent black conservatives who join me on my show on Black History Month talk about the idea that it's not supposed to be a grievance month, victimization month, complaint month. It's a time to elevate and bring more information out for the American people to know about the many Americans and many black Americans in our history and today who are doing so much for America, who lived great lives, done great things, made great contributions to America. And perhaps we didn't in years past learn enough about black, the history of many prominent black Americans simply because of our education system and what we were taught at various times. And I have one dear friend who's a longtime conservative activist who's African-American who says she loves the month just because she loves the idea of having her grandchildren who otherwise may have a lot of negative images that they see in movies and television shows where there's just too many uh, actors who are African-American who are playing roles that are somehow negative or violent. So she loves the idea of elevating in the thought of her grandchildren to be proud of their history and look at all these people in American history uh, who were black, who'd made great contributions. So even though I know some conservatives say we shouldn't even have Black History Month, I love it if you celebrate it for the right reasons in the right way, which is to celebrate and honor the many contributions made to America's culture, history, economics, to America itself uh, in the way they live their lives. And so I want to honor today in this first five, Thomas Sowell. I sent a picture of Thomas Sowell to Matt the Wonderful. I'll just show you briefly who he is. By a lot of you recognize his name. Uh, Thomas Sowell is a, uh, an American legend uh, in many, many ways. I'm going to tell you some brief things about Thomas Sowell um, and why I love to honor him. Number one, it happens he is now 90 years old. 90. 
He's a prolific writer. He's at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. He is a profound and famous and prolific thinker and writer about economics. He is a is Dr. Thomas Law, doctor in economics, and he is a writer about many, many things, including helping people understand the truth about economics. And so I'll tell you just one little uh, tidbit, a couple tidbits about his life story, which I just love because it's kind of the Americana story. Uh, so he's 90 years old. So he was born in a very different era in America, uh, born in the South in North Carolina, where there was surely segregation, grew up very poor, uh, spent his growing up years in Harlem, you know, and didn't have a lot of money, was not, you know, some people might say didn't appear to be on a path to success, uh, given the, the economic circumstances where, where he grew up as he was growing up. He even, he went off to college and at college, he actually, at University of Chicago, studied economics. I mean, he studied economics under Thomas Friedman, Milton Friedman, excuse me, Milton Friedman, learned about free market economics and learned about them and finished his education at University of Chicago after learning about, um, uh, learning about economics from a, from a famous, prolific um, free market economist, and he was a Marxist. Thomas Sowell, the huge advocate for free markets, was a Marxist in his younger days. And as he went through life, he became a what he is, a rock-solid, conservative, free market guy. The guy became just a, and, and he's a literally rock star level thinker and writer. And he was asked in an interview one time, well, what made you change? You were a Marxist even after you went to college. What made you change and become a free market guy? And he had a one word answer. Facts. F-A-C-T-S. Facts. I love it. I, I love it. This is what he figured out that Marxism is just a lot of you know, false promises. And the truth was when he learned the truth about life he, and economics, he became a free market economist. Quick other tributes to him, I sent to Matt the Wonderful a list of quotes, which I'm going to ask him to put up on the screen. And the quotes are, um, I just want you to see some of the great things that Thomas Sowell has said. And Matt can put them up. He's, he's doing three things at once here. I want to have you to see these quotes. These are top, look at this. Socialism in general has a record of failure so blatant that only an intellectual could ignore or evade it. Another one he had, great quotes. Much of the social history of the Western world over the past three decades has been a history of replacing what worked with what sounded good. There's <laughs> a bunch of them. A few more here. Um, Matt has, make, yeah. The next time some academics tell you how important diversity is, ask how many Republicans they are, there are in the, <laughs> in the sociology department. What a great line. If you're not prepared to use force to defend civilization, then be prepared to accept barbarism. I think we have one more maybe. Yeah, the welfare state is not really about the welfare of the masses. It is about the ego of the elites, egos of the elites. One last thing, I'm closing my first five today and talking about Thomas Sowell and Black History Month. I mentioned he's a prolific author. He has written, he wrote four books after he turned 80. So if you're thinking, well, I missed my chance. I did write books. You know, could have written a book, but I didn't. You have a lot of time. You know, if you're not, he's, he's now 90, but after the age of 80, he wrote four books. And he is just great at explaining basic economics, great at explaining the virtues of freedom, free markets, entrepreneurship. Uh, his Twitter feed is just pure entertainment. If you ever feel glum about anything in America, his Twitter feed alone is fabulous. So 
Uh, rounding out my first five, I'll just say I want to honor Thomas Sowell and Black History Month because he's the kind of guy you'd like to have about a million more thinkers like him in America. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us, and he is in studio, which is always fun. We have people in studio. Um, and I want to introduce him just by saying this. Bob McEwen, uh, quickly in his kind of resume background, he served the United States Congress, U.S. House Representatives, representing Ohio um, for many years. I don't know. We'll find out in a minute. Served in Congress many years. Uh, he's a wonderful speaker and inspirer talking about the ideas of America. Uh, he heads up an organization called this um, CNP, Council for National Policy. But the reason why I'm to come to, he happened to be in town because he's speaking in Dallas tonight. And I realized he was coming to Dallas. I wanted, I was very glad he'd come and join me on the show. So a little bit of a personal note. So several years ago, I serve on the board of a lot of different groups. And some group I was part of, we had to find our speaker for our big, annual fundraiser event. I mean, it's the biggest event of the year. We raise money, it's wonderful, and we really, we draw new members. And so we're all discussing who we should get. It's a political organization, so we're always looking for candidates, elected officials, serious conservatives, that's what we're trying to do. And so one person on the little committee with me said, how about this guy, Bob McEwen? And, I, and honestly, I said, I said, I'm sorry, I don't know that name. She said, oh, he's the best, the best. And other people saying, what about Congressman so-and-so? What about Senator so-and-so? And she kept saying, I'm telling you, he'll be the best. You sh we should get him. And so we did. He spoke at this event, I don't know how many years ago it was in Dallas. And it was really his passion for America that caught people on fire. But it was a tremendous talk, whatever time period we gave him to talk, no one wanted him to stop because it was really inspiring. And so I wanted an opportunity to talk today with him in studio. Oh, he also served, Why? one reason why I'm here, he served on President Trump's commission, the 1776 commission, which was the American response to the New York Times 1619, We Hate America and You Should Too project, which is what I always call it. It's We Hate America and We Want You to Hate It Too. So President Trump put together a 1776 commission to talk about the real America. Without further ado, we have Bob McEwen. Say hello, sir. Debbie, it's so fun to be with you. Thank you so much. It's a real privilege. I'm so glad you could be here. This is just great. And uh, I haven't seen you in a while, but I'm just very, very glad you're able to be here. And so uh, I want to jump in, first of all. Um, first of all, thank you for working on that commission. I love that President Trump did that. He just did. He did more good things by noon on any given day <laughs> than most presidents do in a month. I mean, he just every day he would come up with something that was just absolutely dynamite. I was so glad that he did it. The cafe standards for cars and, and then this, the EPA standards that, that they wanted to control everybody's farmland. If you dropped a, a drop fell any place on your farm, eventually it would go to the sea. Therefore, they could tell you how to use it. And nobody would take that on. He just did it in a minute. Anwar getting gas from, from up north of the, of the Arctic Circle. Everybody just whined and carried on about that, but nobody ever did it. He just did it in a drop of a hat. I could go on and on and on. This thing talked about exactly what you said. America is the most unbelievable place in the history of the world, created more wealth than all the history of mankind prior to its birth in 1776. And these people come along in the New York Times and they want to say America started 200 years earlier, 150 years before, before George Washington was even born. 
and, and George and Donald Trump said, "Well, that's foolish. I mean, if they're going to be selling that to 70 percent of all the schools in America are now studying that nonsense," he said, "Let's point out when America was born, July 4th, 1776." So he put together a commission, and uh, when when Joe Biden became president of the United States, as you know, usually what you do on the day you're sworn in, you, that you have a parade, you have an inaugural parade, and then then you're changing your ball gowns and you have a celebration, and then the next day you go in and sit down in the Oval Office and you take your pictures and you do, and you do whatever the most important thing is for on that first day. He, Donald or Joe Biden could not wait until supper on January twentieth. At 4.30 in the afternoon, he's been in office for less than five hours, he eliminates the 1776 Commission, which did what? Merely said that America was born when it was born and accomplished the things that they did accomplish. And that was so offensive to him that he said, before I get started on anything else, I want to put a stop to this. Well, I love that. That's a great introduction to it because it's offensive to leftism. It's offensive to the idea that it's trying to shift America the, the idea of America from being this unique, extraordinary idea, as I describe my show, all the, just frequently describe it my show, it is the most extraordinary experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth. That's what America is. But if you are a leftist and you want to shift society away from rooted in the individual freedom and the right of the individual to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and you want to make a society that the, it's a government-controlled, government-mandated, government-regulated society, you can't have people studying these ideas about the founding of America because it destroys your whole premise of what your, your, your purpose is. And the 1619 Project, I want to tell our listeners one quick thing. I know I've railed about this in the past, but I'm not done railing about it. The 1619 Project started out actually trying to say this was a project funded by the New York Times, driven by the leftists of the New York Times, started out with the idea that they wanted to reframe, these are their original words, reframe the country's history, understanding 1619 as our true founding and placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative. So they want to say, quit talking about this 1776 thing, 1619. They actually got so much pressure from real historians, they had to pull back some of the things they claimed one of them, I don't know if you knew this one, Bob, but there was one claim by 1619 Project that the entire purpose of the Revolutionary War was to make sure that slavery could stay intact in America. I mean, <laughs> real historians said, what are you even talking about? Well, what you? And they had to say, actually, never mind about that one. They, they, took, they, had to, they had to pull it back. But I want to dive in on the 1776 thing. I mean, you, I, I know you talk about America all the time, but what... You know, the big pieces you took away from meeting with these other, and I, I have a list of people who are on the stellar let me commission. Just say about the 1619 people. See, the, if you either believe that, that man is unique, made by God. Now, the, the three steps are, are sequential and very important. First, you have to believe that there is a God, that man didn't just get here on his own. Otherwise, he would be superior. He would be the God, and he could make any, any standards that he wants. But if there is a God, then God has a standard, thou shalt not kill, shalt not steal, shalt not bear false witness, shalt not covet. So he has standards and people don't like that. So first thing you have to do is get rid of God. Yeah. And then the, as Thomas Jefferson said, the God who gave us life, gave us liberty at the same time. So God gave us life. So we hold these truths to be self-evident, all men created equal, endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights among us are life, number one, life, then liberty. And the sequence is important because liberty is a precious little value if you're dead. So you have to have life first and then liberty. Now, 
if you believe that man is merely an animal and you can control them and just tell them what to do like like a cow and and there is no god to respond to that that's then you could enslave people and there are people who are so enamored with slavery they believe slavery is so powerful and so wonderful that if you just have a little bit of it say 1619 to 1700 if you just have a little bit of slavery from that will spring the most powerful nation on earth and the fact that we did it since that time said it's all because of that slavery that you had back in the 1600s now can you imagine how perverted that is so they formed a party that is dedicated to it they form a ku klux klan to protect it they fought a war killing 600,000 men uh, trying to preserve it they formed a thing called jim crow in which they wouldn't let people read because they if they got if they reckon if they read they read the bible and they know that god made them and then and they wouldn't be the slaves that they want. Now, Rosa Parks, they passed a law in, in Montgomery, Alabama, not in America, not in America. America didn't do this. The city council in Montgomery, Alabama said that Rosa Parks couldn't sit in the front of the bus. That's the kind of people that they are. And they're still fighting because freedom gives abundance. Freedom gives invention. Freedom raises the standard of living. And they're so mad about it that they're going to say, well, no, freedom didn't do that. It's all because of our wonderful slavery. Back 150 years before America was even born, back before George Washington was even conceived, why it was the slavery that made it all possible. And they're still trying to sell it. They had a party that tries to sell it. And you and I have utter contempt for it. That is so well said. <laughs> so well said. <laughs> I will say in this whole slavery thing, I think that part of what you know is occurring now, uh, well, especially during the four years of Trump's presidency, and then now we have the Biden administration. Okay, won't go down that path. Anyway, we have the Biden administration. Is this idea that slavery, at the the beginning of the nation of having you know people as second class citizens, this is this explains every ill, every sense of poverty every every failure of the country is all rooted back to that and it's designed of course to inspire people to believe it and accept and go for things like not just affirmative action but reparations for uh, present day segregation it is a it is a an ugly um, distortion of the idea of america because the beauty of the ideas of america from the declaration to the constitution is that all men are created equal that's period it. that's it full stop all men equal, and therefore, skin color, ethnicity, national origin, where your grandparents came from, none of that matters. These are ideas, and actually the founders meant them not just to be for us in the Declaration, they meant they were, they were observing what they said was a universal truth, really true of everyone. We were just gonna make a country around it. And that whole concept of equality and, and, just, and, and believing in the ability of the individual, it, it, it interferes with, it prevents the left from doing their siloing of America, their victimization mode, their creating victim classes. You can't do that if you accept this idea of, of America at its founding. And this is, they just have to go back to, to racializing society to push forward their agendas. And so what do they have to do? First of all, they have to do away with God. You have to get God out of everything. Oh, you have sure. to get, <clears throat> if you if you see if you sing the Star Spangled Banner, you got to get down and bury your nose in the grass because if you honor God in any way, that's that's offensive to them because God is what gave us the significance. Once you do away with God, then it's very easily to take innocent life. And people say, why do you care so much about that life? Why did the founders put it as the very most important thing in the Declaration of Independence? Number one, because very simply, any politician that will take innocent life, 
will not hesitate to take your liberty. So the sequence, you do away with God, then the party is dedicated to taking away life, and now they're in the process of taking our liberty, telling us when we can go to school or not go to school, when we can open or smile and cover our face or uncover our face, when we can, when we can be in business or not be in business. Uh, they, 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 their desire is for tyranny. We are on the, on, the, on the knife edge as to which direction we will go. And one side is anti-God, anti-life, anti-liberty. And, in, and it's important for all of us to be alert because it's, it's now up to our generation to preserve it. I say that all the time on this show, this idea, I talk about America as this country that is, is you know, a unique, extraordinary uh, gift, an experiment in human liberty, ever to bless this earth, uh, and that every generation has had the opportunity and the responsibility, the duty to protect it, to preserve it, because nobody else will unless the patriots do. I mean, every generation must do that. And the challenge we face now is, is very significant because it appears, and the humanly, humanly you look at the government, it appears that the leftists, the ones who want tyranny, they actually hold all the levers of power. They seem to. They hold the White House, the Senate, the House. They apparently have more control over the courts than we realized. And so you, it is just, there's a, um, a yearning on the conservative side, on the pro-America side, the pro-freedom side, to figure out how you hold on to, to this founding idea of America, given what the left is doing. I mean, the tyranny we, we We've talked about, I know your organization's also talked about, you know, voting rights, HR1 in Washington, we're gonna take over elections, we're just gonna take over everything. So what do you do, these brilliant ideas you wrote about, I, I would actually, I have this all sticky, we could talk about a lot of things you good, said, but, good. but in the 7076 commission though, I wanna get to, so what do you do when you're a patriot, and here we sit in 2021, we seemingly have no political power. Well, first of all, we, we cannot become despondent. <clears throat> so the, the poor apostle Paul, uh, he's, he's sitting there, uh, he's, he's locked up. If he goes someplace, they beat him to a pulp, leave him for, left him for dead twice, and they throw him in a, in a prison. And he reads about the churches that he started, they're all misbehaving and all. And what did he say? He said, we cannot become weary in well-doing. Now, yeah. <laughs> there, there, there was an opportunity to be weary <laughs> when you see that everything you're doing is going nowhere, and you, and you didn't have large stadiums or TV or radio stations or say you're just saying your two or three things and here it is falling apart but he recognized that we're called to do our part and in the 1776 they were trying to do something that no one had ever done and you have to just think of how challenging that would be as we sit here we look out the window and we we see more wealth created in in this state than than in half of, of all of europe uh, we we see uh, the the abundance in the history of this country but here's poor george washington going against the largest military and political and, and, and economic power on the planet. He has no country, he has no money, he has no reputation that they can say, look what we did. I just have an idea <laughs> that if you folks will help me, you risk your lives, you can't believe what we're gonna accomplish. And lo and behold, that's why we honor these people. And, and I have more to add to that, but while I'm on this point, I had a friend the other day that was, was mentioning about, he was speaking on, on the Electoral College and he was mentioning about the founders and what they'd accomplished and, and this woman who was a millennial. Now, the X's and, and Y's, the ones that are in their 20s and 30s, so this is a middle-aged, 30-something, maybe 40-year-old female. She said, why? Uh, those men didn't, uh, uh, didn't even think I should be able to vote. How can I honor the founders? To wit, he said very simply, um, okay, when we're speaking about suffrage, how many nations on earth allowed men to vote in 1776. Let's, let's figure this out. 
answer is zero, none. All right. Uh, how, how many women uh, could vote? Okay, zero. Okay, a handful of men, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, George Washington, John Adams, great people, Benjamin Franklin, we can go, had a, an idea that no one had ever had before. And of course, everybody didn't sign up. Some people were leftists. Some people believe in government control. Some people are socialists. They want government to tell you what to do. They want to have slavery. And, they, and so in order to convince these people, those people by the end of their lifetime had set a marker that from that day forward, from Adam and Eve in the garden, until July 4th, 1776, there always was slavery. There never was, was uh, freedom of elections. And those people came up with an idea that has created prosperity out of all proportion, the greatest nation in the history of mankind. They say, but look, during their lifetime, not everybody believed in them, and not everybody agreed. And, they, and when they were younger, they felt differently than did when they were older. You think, how naive can you be <laughs> to not understand the, why the entire world honors these men? Because from that day forward, everybody said, I have the right to be free, not because of the, how much land I own, not because of my bloodline, not because of the color of my skin, only because God made me. And that right. idea is still as powerful as it was then. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. Yeah, it's the most amazing thing. And we have, through our education system, lost the training of young people. This millennial to whom you're referring and people younger than that person, they didn't learn the uniqueness of America, the greatness of America. They learned a lot of other things, and they were, learned, they were taught, for example, that socialism is probably fairer, uh, that America was founded by a bunch of racist old men who owned <laughs> slaves. It is the most, it, it, is, it is just a turning on the head of, of what of is truth. so true That's and right. so great about the founders. Right. And I've had African-American friends say, well, why would I honor the founders? Because after all, they still permitted slavery in the Constitution. And you know, I always say, you know, here we are, in America now, and we, we, we fought a war to end it. No one made us do that. We fought a war to end it. We continued through a cultural war, if you want to call it that, to, turn, to get rid of segregation, to turn it to... We have strived toward that beautiful idea from the Declaration about all men created equal. We didn't make a perfect union, but we made the ideal. In the, in the, and then we, we strived and we, we changed things. And we're still striving and changing things and, and always trying to make life better. But the whole idea that you would throw away the idea of America because it wasn't perfect the day of the founding is... So, so let's, let's talk about that. So they had this idea that nobody had ever done before and they, no, and they weren't sure it could ever happen. And so the question was not whether or not there would be slavery in the world. The only question is whether or not it would be slavery here. The only question was whether or not there was going to be a United States of America. That was the question. And so therefore you had to make any accommodations that you could in order to begin to get plant the seed of America and freedom then would overcome it. And true, the people that they honored, that political idea that people uh, should, should be enslaved, it, 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 they were opposed to that. And so the compromise that they made was that you can't, we're going to stop the importation of slaves because let me, let's just back up what prompted it. It's 1787. There's the, in the, uh, <clears throat> the soldiers had not been paid in 1776 and they were, they were anxious to get paid. And so they made the Northwest Ordinance from which Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, and, and Wisconsin came from. And they took that land and they gave grants to the farmers because they didn't have any other money. And they said, here, we'll, we'll give this to you. And if you want to go out there and own it and farm it, then you can have this land. And just as a quick little aside, I represented Clinton, Ohio. 
Clinton, Ohio. One of the grants was to a man named Fife. He was a he was a Scottish soldier. He's an F-I-F-E. At this moment, D.M. Fife is the county commissioner, and Bill Fife is the county auditor in Clinton County, Ohio. Another one was to Carey, C-A-R-E-Y. Rita Carey is the editor of the newspaper, and, and Ron Carey is the county prosecutor. And so the, they, they gave this land, but in, when they made this ordinance of 1787, they said this, and it passed unanimously. You can't put your slavery in the Northwest Territory. We're going to give that to the soldiers, and you're not going to have your ornery slavery down there in those handful of states. You can't bring it in there. It passed unanimously. So Rutledge and, and the others representing South Carolina and North Carolina, they're, they're looking at each other, and they say, I see what's coming here. We're going to have to convince these people to go from being an independent nation, where we have independent foreign policy, we have our own currency, we have the, and to join together in a United States where we have a national government and they give up our power. That's going to be hard to sell. But then we're also going to sell the idea that the day that you do it, you're out of business. <laughs> There's going to be no slavery and all your farms are going to fall. He said, I'm not sure we can sell both of those at the same time. And so they, they came to a compromise. Part of the compromise, of course, as you know, was that half the people lived in three states, half the people lived in 10 states. How do you get around that? And so that's when they began to pray every day and they came up with a solution. Rather, the way we solve it, we have two houses instead of one. Well, nobody ever thought of that. <laughs> and so one house, every state is equal, and the other one, according to population. All right, now what do we do about slavery? Here's what we do, and I ask people this all the time, and they never tell you what, when did the slave trade end? When was the slave trade ended in America? It's in a secret place where nobody would ever discover it or find out. It's in the Constitution. And the Constitution says that you cannot import, <clears throat> you cannot prohibit the importation of such people as you may wish until 1808. Now it's 1787, 1797, 1807 for 20 years. But on January 1st, 1808, bingo, the very first day that you can under the constitution, you prohibit the importation of slaves. And that law was passed in March of, 17, uh, of 1807, signed by the president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. And from that day on, the very first nation on the planet to say no more importation of slaves. Now, once you've done it, now you've quarantined it and you're going to kill it. It's going to die and it's almost dead. And then there's a little hitch in there when they elect the, the leader of the modern Democrat Party, the one that they honor, Andrew Jackson. They have Jackson Day dinners to this day because he then brought in a new slave state, ripped it open, tore off the scab. That was then the Jacksonian era from 1830 until 1860 when finally the Republican Party was born to end it. And then so every county in America and where I will go tonight is to a Lincoln Day dinner in which we honor the Republican Party for ending slavery. Every county in America has a Democrat Jackson Day dinner who honors the man who was in favor of slavery. Now it's true, it took a fight, it took a lot of effort, but we won it. And uh, the fact it didn't happen overnight merely is because, now final point, anybody who says about it's terrible that we had slavery, we didn't get rid of slavery. Let me just tell you this before you get on your high horse too, too big. There's more slavery to now or at this moment than there's ever been in the history of the world. So if you're all concerned about slavery, it's not in America. It's throughout most of Africa, much of the Middle East, all around the world. So if you're really concerned about that, and then how people, if you, the GDP of African Americans in America, the reason that, that only a handful of people are prior to this, the Civil War are African Americans, these people come to our country because it's the greatest place in the world to live. That's why, why Kamala Harris, who, whose father came from Jamaica and whose mother came from from India, and then they lived in Montreal, so she comes back to tell us we should pay reparations, to, and exactly to whom, I don't know whom, but nevertheless. The, I, the idea that those people have come here because African Americans in the United States, 
If you took the wealth that they have, that they generate, it would be the 15th largest, richest country on earth. Wait, say that earth. again. Say that fact again. The GDP again. of African Americans, if it were a separate nation, would be the 15th richest nation on earth. So th that's why people want to come here. So all this sitting around and griping and complaining and pointing your finger uh, is the fact is this is the place that people come to. And if you don't think so, and then, they, then once they get here, like uh, Omar from, from Somalia, and she's the congresswoman from Minnesota, and you get, you get Harris, who is so put upon that she's the vice president of the United States. They can all sit around and gripe about our country, but the fact of the matter is it's the greatest place in the history of mankind, and if it weren't, they wouldn't be here. Amen. Okay, that, that was very, very good. Very good summary. And, you know, I, I really thought it was, I mean, it, back when um, candidate Obama was running for president, I remember thinking how the way he was talking, a lot of people who were tuned into American history, myself included, would listen to him saying, he doesn't really sound like he's trying to bring forward and to honor and to implement the ideas of America. You could hear it early on in the way he spoke and, and that he really had a different vision about the, he, he grumbled, I don't remember what point it was, I think maybe he was still an, a state senator where he made the point about, uh, the, he complained about the Constitution as being um, a document of negative liberties. He was complaining that the Constitution prohibited the federal government from taking control of everything. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, I mean, he actually, I played that many times on this show. I mean, he, uh, uh, he didn't, it wasn't a document, it was a charter of negative liberties. That was his language. He was complaining because he wanted government to be powerful and controlling, and it, it stopped him from doing that. Uh, which, all the time on the floor, liberals were getting up. This is the only country that doesn't tell you when you have to get up in the morning. This is the only country that doesn't choose a doctor for you. This is the only doctor, country that doesn't give you shots with your children and not consult the parents. This is the only, and I kept saying, you know, you got 200 countries to go to. This is the only place we can go. If, if it's so all fired bad, why are people cutting over, crawling over cut glass and barbed wire and leaky ships to get here? If this, because we're the only country that doesn't do those things. But you only look at people in two ways. Either God made them, or, and, and power comes from God to individuals, or if, it, if rights don't come from God, and Debbie, this is the whole point. Yes. You listen to a politician for 60 seconds, you can tell. If rights don't come from God, from where do they come? They come from the group. They come from the union. They come from the tribe. I can decide to do what I want to do. And that's why the United States is not a democracy. That's why the founders were scared to death of a democracy. Because, and the word democracy is not found in any of our founding documents nor in the constitutions of any of the 50 states. Because in a democracy, rights come from the majority. Our daughter spent a year in Rwanda. In Rwanda, 80% of the people are Hutu, 20% were Tutsi. The 80% can vote to kill the 20%, and they did. And over the course of 90 days with machetes, they chopped a million people to pieces. Now, that's what you do if you don't have God giving you rights. And, and so you hear these people, they immediately want to divide people up. You listen to them when they talk. They talk about women's rights, and they talk about Hispanic rights. They talk African rights. There, no, there are no blonde left-handed rights. There's only rights that come to man, and at the foot of the cross, where God made us all equal. And the further you get from there, 
then the more you get into the group. And that's where the division comes from. And the power comes. You listen to the politicians when they talk. They talk about the group that they represent. Right. They, don't talk about, they don't talk about workers and savers and investors and producers and inventors. They talk about skin color or gender or some other Race, thing. Ethnicity, that, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, your point about uh, it's interesting. You've gone back a couple of times to talk about the idea that the unique place that the existence of God, the place of God, the, the, the idea that God is a source of life and that we're all created equal by him. That founding premise has just it, it's foundational to how patriots look at people and look at America. And I have a friend who lived in, I mean, she grew up in Romania and it was during uh, the time of communism. And she tries to talk about why, I, I asked her, why is it? I've never understood why the communists go after the religious people. They, she, was, she was very profoundly, is very profoundly Christian. She was, I mean, she was locked up. She had all sorts of bad things happen to her. And I was saying, wh why is it if, if communism is just a form, an economic form of, of you know, the f of economic theory, why would they be so anti, this is before I got smarter, several years ago, but why would they be so antagonistic to people of faith? And she was saying, because people of faith think they understand their rights come from God. And this interferes with the communist desire to define, here's exactly what your rights are, here's what you, where you may live, how many children you may have, where you may go to school. It interferes with their whole concept of society. If people think, I have rights, because I was born and they come from God. And communists or leftists in America today are very troubled by that because they can't contain and control people who believe their rights come from God. You're 100% correct. It, when, when the communists took over in South, in South Vietnam, they had re-education camps. And I often ask people, what do you think they taught in the re-education camps? Now the natural reaction of Americans would be, well, they taught communism. Nope. Nope, they didn't. They taught evolution. That is that you think you're somebody special. You think that, that you, when you have your ceremony or you worship God, that, that you are supposed to live according to a certain standard. You're nothing. You got here by accident. Mm -hmm. You're just a pile of anything that exists only for the benefit of the state. The state is what supremes. If you're there to serve the state, you as an individual are nothing. And that's what they had to, had to train because in order for me to control you, if you think, you, you know, we, we've got example after example of people that were put in prison and all the rest, but uh, they, they knew that God had made them and they were, they were content and peaceful in the process. And, and uh, Frankel talked about being at peace as, a, as a, a Jew in a Nazi prison because they couldn't destroy his inside because of who he was. That's the spirit of man that God made and put yeah. it within us. And, and that's the spirit of America is what people long for, admire, and, and, and is under attack at the moment. And it's, up to our, it's our privilege at this time to preserve it. It certainly is. Among the many ways in, in talking about how to preserve America, I, I get people who, after this show, email or leave comments all over, and they say, give us something to do. What should we do? All right. And, I have it. Okay. Me too, but you go ahead. Let me tell you what you should do. Okay. Some people may have seen the last few days of these youngsters that were on a school board in California, and they were laughing about going back to school, and, and those rotten parents, they just want their babysitters back and all that sort of yeah. Those people are school board members. Now that's as high as you get. Uh, throughout most of our lifetime, the school board members were the most respected people in the community. And, the, and you wouldn't vote for someone who was not very principled and highly respected. 
they were on the school board. The school board then hires the superintendent. The superintendent is responsible for running the school system and they hire the teachers. And so they are all downstream of what is taught your child when you take the most valuable possession that you have and you hand them over to someone for eight hours a day to train them for 12 years, to fill them with what they wanna fill them with. Those people are downstream from the superintendent or they're downstream from the Board of Elections. The Board of Elections people, the, 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 the number of votes to get elected is just infinitesimal. It right. takes nothing. Uh, David Barton was telling about uh, in Fort Worth that one of the gals that had, had made the motion to to say that the men, the boys could, could dress in the girls' locker room if they felt feminine that day. And that, that the number of votes that that person got when they got on the board was 1,100 votes. And that three blocks away was a church with 30,000 members. One church, one place. We have allowed them to come in now for, for th three generations and Decades. steal this out from under us. And if you want to know what to do, this is not complicated. Especially right now when one of the schools are closed, you can sign it to your children. Find out what school district you're in. Find out what it takes to run for school. And, this, and they run in odd years, usually. They run in, in mm -hmm. odd, that, really they run this year. And this year, the four or five school board members will, will be up. They often win with four, five, six hundred votes in, the, in order to win. And if you get your group, your women's group, your neighborhood group, your church group, you get, and, and if you want young people something to do, find out, tell your youth group, find out who they are and find out where they live and, and, and find out uh, how many votes it takes to win. And if you want to know what you should do for your country, I'm going to tell you, if rather than, than throw a, a rock at the TV set or get frustrated at what's going on, here's something you absolutely can and should do. You absolutely should do it. You should find out how many votes, usually uh, signatures of five to 15 signatures from your friends to put your name on the ballot. Let me just, while we're at that, many of these seats are, are empty. That means no one files for them. Yep. And the people that are on the school board appoint their friends to fill the slot. Right. There are some, some of them, most of them probably, uh, a significant percentage of them have no opposition. They file, whoever files gets it. So the, the, the opportunity there is unlimited. So if you want to do something permanently, significantly for your country, and rather than, than, than wailing against somebody in Austin or in Washington, do this. Find out how to vote, how to, how to register to vote, and do it. And the very worst thing that can happen is that you don't get elected. That's the way we are now. If Americans will do that, and, I, and that's, that's my number one mission for this year, is everyone felt the despondency of seeing what happened when they when the elections were so uh, convoluted, and let me just say, not to divert here, but uh, but uh, Ed Meese, as you know, is uh, chief of staff for Ronald Reagan and one of my dearest friends, and we host a prayer breakfast every Tuesday morning for ambassadors when they're hosted in, when they're posted in Washington, and we do it every every week, and uh, so we encounter them all the time. And, and one of the things that you look at when elections are stolen, there's a list of about eight or 10 things that the State Department looks to as to when elections are stolen. And the number one is, number one, is when they stop counting. Now, when you have an election going on and, so, and, and the president says, oh, by the way, we're not gonna count for two days, you know something's up. Right. And here the entire world is watching and the people in Philadelphia say, oh, by the way, uh, Donald Trump is 730,000 points ahead. I think we'll go to sleep for it and we'll get back to you in the morning. Okay, so, so when, when people see that and they get frustrated by it, what can I do about it? Well, rather than curse the darkness, 
light a bonfire in your school district and you and three of your best friends should get elected to the school board in this county and in every county in the country. I love the school board advice. I, I do. I think it's really, really important. I, I will tell you, I also, I, I mean, I've been activist in a lot of ways. I think everyone has to get on board in their states to push election integrity legislation. Somebody's pushing it in every red state legislature. Find out who that is. In Texas, we had Senator Bob Hall on last week talking about his bill. There are numerous bills and it can't be those nibbling around the edges, little tiny fixes at the end of the day, don't change anything. Substantive election integrity must happen and lots of people know what to do. I, I, I push it all the time in your but, own state. But you're aware of HR 1, correct? Oh yeah, we, we could rail about it's that. It's coming up next week. Okay, but HR, HR 1, in fact, this is another um, thought. This is a great thing to, to we, we, could, we could talk about three hours, but I don't have that, you don't either. But um, HR 1, we've been talking about a lot in the show, this idea the Democrats are floating in Washington with their, you know, holding the Senate and the House and the White House, uh, pushing a bill, which is, uh, I, I've been, I've used numerous names for, but the basic concept of it is, it is, it is mandating permanent vote fraud. No way around it. Every state is gonna be forced to comply with what the Democrats want them to do, which is every single tactic of vote fraud is mandated for every state, inconsistent with the Constitution, uh, and then secondly, voter integrity provisions that states have in place are going to be eviscerated by this. So that's the other thing is contacting, even if you are represented by a Democrat and you think he or she supports it, every Democrat member of the Senate, you have two senators in your state, every Democrat member of the House and Republican need, need to be inundated with emails and calls saying don't you dare pass this thing it's beyond bad um as you know barack obama uh having grown up in indonesia spent some time in hawaii with his grandfather but with his grandparents her parents and then was sent to chicago and and that's where the corruption in these big cities there's been corruption for quite some time and barack obama mentioned about the fact that that it would be very hard to steal a national election in America because we were so diversified. And that is, you can, you can have the corruption in Detroit, as we know, and in Cleveland and Chicago and all of these other places where, where there's never been a, in Milwaukee, there's never been a Republican elected as governor in, in or Minnesota. In Minneapolis, Minneapolis is where the fire, or where the, the, <clears throat> the, the riots were. There hasn't been a Republican mayor there in our lifetime way back before World War II. So once, once they take control and they do the corruption in these big cities, but he said it, you couldn't do an entire country because the election system is so diverse that each county controlled these things. Well, HR1 is their solution and answer to that. It is a federal takeover of the election process. That is, it will be mandated from Washington, the standards, and some of the standards are that you can't ask a person uh, for identification. Why would you need that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not, not to divert here, but, but there's, there's a, an effort in California to recall the, the governor, and the governor is demanding that those signatures be, verified, be certified. <laughs> now, I thought certification was, was, was racist. Why, why would you want to do such a thing? But nevertheless, under the bill, and, 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 and so you cannot register. They say it's same-day registration. Same-day registration means there is no registration. Right. That means that, that you can come from Alabama 
and and if you you want a, a critical district in in Utah, uh, a couple of busloads of you can go and you can just vote all day long. You can register at every every place all day long and hop in a car and leave. And by the time they they could ever prove anything, if they ever could, uh, the election's all long been over. So that's part of HR one is same day registration, and it'd be and I don't care what you say about it at home. Washington will have decided it. And then of course if you it, the idea that uh, you know who you are. And sometimes maybe grandma can't make it, and so you could, she could ask for a ballot, and then you could verify it that she could ask you, and you would both sign it, and you could take it to the Board of Elections. It's called absentee voting. There's a certain amount of that, but oh no, we're going to do away with that. That is, we're going to put boxes. It says in the HR1, it says in the bill, that there will be voting boxes distributed throughout the country 45 days for the 45 days prior to the election to fill up at will any way that you want to. <laughs> I mean, what this is, is as you, your, your terminology was perfect, that is it's mandated fraud guaranteed that America will lose its right to elect officers. And so I, I made a glancing uh, discussion about, about democracy. And so we, we refer to America as a democracy because in a republic you choose people to run your country. And, and you want to choose people that are of integrity. The scripture says you fear God and that, that uh, men of truth and hating socialism. They use the term covetousness, but socialism is I want, right. what, I want what you have. And those are the three things that were required. But then when you voluntarily elected them democratically, so we call ourselves a democracy. It, it's, it's kind of a, a misuse of the word because we are not a democracy, but we democratically choose the representatives to run the republic, which is which is what it is. Under this system, the, the democratic part of it would just be out the window. The mob could do anything that they want and be no way for you to prove it. And if you tried to prove it, if you tried to prove that people are voting that aren't American, aren't even citizens, and also it will it will give money to people who want to run. So the America that right. we know will be gone. And, and just in case there's no difference between the parties, and now everybody's not right, not all Republicans are right, and all Democrats are wrong, let me just say this. Every member of the Congress of the United States of America, the 117th Congress sitting at this moment, is a co-sponsor of this bill. So therefore, if, you, uh, if that's what you want, that's what they want. And they know that if they can pass this bill at this moment with their man in the White House, they'll never have to fiddle with a Donald Trump ever again. Every single Democrat's a co-sponsor. That's co-sponsor the bill in the House. That's correct. Okay. This is, friends, I, I've been talking about this bill, and I... I say so often, people in America cannot really ever get their arms around, they can't grasp the idea that America could actually really change. Everyone thinks, well, okay, so we had a D win this time, but next time be an R. America will still be America. We'll still have freedom of speech. We'll still have freedom of religion. We'll still have freedom of assembly. Everything will be the same. We just might have higher taxes, lower taxes. And we are watching, we are at the, I forgot the expression you used, Bob, a moment ago, but we started, but we're at the edge of losing everything never having America again. It is that serious. And part of the effort of the left in putting this bill through is to make it so that even if 90% of Americans decided, you know, we actually want our country back. We want free markets. We want firm, uh, we want secure borders. We want an immigration system that honors the needs of the American people. We want a strong military. Whatever they decide, all the things that are kind of Republican agenda items, you'll have no capacity to vote it back in. You'll never be able to take the country back. And this is why election integrity, fighting HR1, pushing election integrity in your own states, and including having your own states try to protect against electronic manipulation of voting, uh, the, the voter software, which is a great 
draft in Texas on that topic, but it's not just enough to say, you know, we want a picture ID and we want to make sure that, you know, we clean the voter rolls once in a while. It's far more complex, but it has to happen. Or you really, you won't have the America you always thought you would. You, it, it won't, and there won't be any way to get it back. There's a prohibition in the bill for cleaning the voting records. You're not allowed to do that. Because that's racist. Probably. It prohibits. Well, the fact that the person's dead, that doesn't discourage them. <laughs> You're not allowed to remove yep. their name. Because once those names are in there and, and they, they can just, see, that's the whole thing with the voter harvesting. Voter harvesting is different from voting absentee. And that is <clears throat> that you send out th these ballots to anybody who was ever registered at any time. So there might be a, a, a townhouse or an apartment building. And maybe the place is almost empty. Maybe there's only three or four people left there. But over the last 20 years, there might have been 400 people. And they've registered to vote there. And, and, and it's still on the rolls. They send it. And so these stacks of ballots are laying there in the lobby of people that are registered to that building. And of course, that is only one example where you can go on by the thousands. That's why voter harvesting in Debbie, you know how many nations permit that? I can't imagine. Not one. There what? is no nation on earth that does that. If, 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 if Mugabe in Zimbabwe said, oh, by the way, I mailed out 200, I sent out 2 million ballots and uh, 1.8 million of them came back and said I won. There, <clears throat> there isn't a nation on earth. That's, that's too absurd for word, Robert. You got to have people actually show up. We got to see who they are. We got to put a, uh, some stain on their finger, make sure they don't vote twice. You can't just be mailing out numbers and bringing them in. That's, we would call that Philadelphia. We call that Detroit. <laughs> we call that Milwaukee in 2020. We we call that uh, Raffenberger in, in Atlanta, Georgia. That, that, that is an absurdity that has never, ever been done any place. And that's what this bill, H.R. 1, that's what it will do. I was going to say, on the, I use the word audacity probably too often, but I look at the things the left is proposing, this being a prime example, H.R. 1, it is so audacious that you kind of think, I must be missing something because it couldn't really be what everyone's telling me it is because it, this couldn't fly in america but the audacity just of getting complete control over the election process it, it is right in our face it's not really hidden anyone could read the bill you can read great summaries of the bill and yet we have a bare majority in the house and a bare majority in the senate who actually think they're going to do this and so i come the audaciousness is mind-blowing just mind-blowing but you know I'm, i want to go back because we asked you i asked you here today because As we leave that let's just say this and i will say this with, with all of the sincerity that i possess there never ever ever has been anything more important than this bill right you do this america's over don't talk about abortion or about anything because all of that's downstream if they can do this Anything else you care about, choice in school, I don't care what it is, it'll never ever take place if they're able to pervert our system like this. This is the most important thing that is, we have ever faced politically. Right. We, we are at the precipice of losing the country. I want to go back, speaking of our precious country, so we start out talking about New York Times started the 1619 Project, and to my sense, it was entirely designed to instigate and foment resentment, suspicion, distrust among the American people, to paint America as an ugly, divided country uh, based on race, ethnicity, and national origin, to foment hatred among American citizens. And for, God bless him, President Trump created the 1776 Commission. And I want to have you, this is a great wrap-up thing, but just kind of your takeaways from the 1776 Commission versus what the 1619 Project is trying to paint about America. What Americans need to understand, besides, oh, by the way, listeners, I linked to it. You ought to read the 1776 Commission. 
report on our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links. You can read it there. It's not long, and it's very, very deep and very thoughtful, and you ought to read it. Okay, 1776 versus 1619. Well, Debbie, there's been a couple of times when the country could have disappeared. Uh, certainly one of them was under, under Abraham Lincoln. And then uh, there was the great uh, progressive after World War I, uh, when, when socialism was just rising in the 1880s and the turn of the century and taking over many of the countries in Europe. And then in the 1930s, when we had the Depression, there were, there were rallies for communism, marches, and, and Madison Square Garden was filled with communists and, and people, as we know, that uh, Hollywood and all the rest. So, so, so there, were, there were times when, when America uh, was, was at risk. It, it is at risk now. And it's our responsibility to to engage. Now, one of the things that they the way that they do it is, why is Alzheimer's considered such a terrible, terrible disease? Uh, if your wife or husband or daughter is dying of cancer, you sit by the bed and you stroke their face and you hold their hand and you love them and, and you, you go through this terrible time. But Alzheimer's is so horrible because you sit there and you say, Mom, I'm, I'm your daughter. Do you know that? Now, what's your name again? Because when, in Alzheimer's, they forget who they were. And when you don't know who you were, then you don't know who you are. And so when you take history away from young people and they don't know what America was, then they don't know what America is. And that at that point, it can be overthrown. And that's what they've done now for all these years. Now we're now into a third generation of where people do not know that America is the nation that ended slavery. America is the nation that held the banner up. The entire world now looks down on a, uh, on a slaveholder. Why? Because of George Washington, because of Thomas Jefferson, because of the Americas has that standard. And, for, and, and if you don't know that, then you can, and that's what 1619 was about, to destroy the history of who America is, so then I can take away the freedom. Now, America stands for righteousness in the world. If a ship is attacked on the high seas, has happened over 300 times last year, to whom can they appeal? The 327,000 Americans wear the uniform of the United States Navy. Because everybody knows that if you want to do something in the Straits of Hormuz, if I want to steal that tanker, if I want to steal that yacht in the Caribbean, if I want to overrun those people in, in Tahiti, I know the Americans will put a stop to it. Yep. Same way if, if I'm George Soros or any other person, I want to flood a, a currency in Peru or some little country and just uh, Guatemala and take it down. I know that the banking system in America will lock me out so I can't do it. If I, if I want to steal a patent and I want to sell something around the world and America has a patent, they'll make sure that I can't. On and on. America stands for righteousness. If you take down America, then it goes to power. And if I'm China and I want to take over an island, there's nothing anybody can do about it. Right now, if you do it, America will put a stop to it. So therefore, to, to, to destroy the world, you have to take down America. To take down America, you merely take down its leadership. And you just put an automaton in there, keep him in the basement. You all vote automatically based upon whatever. And then you will see that what, where, that's where America is at the moment. And the people that are cheering are the people that hate us people, the Chinese and the others that want to see America destroyed. Right. And, and there's nothing they can do. I've done prayer breakfast in between 20 and 30 countries around the globe, presidential prayer breakfast with the leadership of the nation. And in those prayer breakfasts by the parliamentarians and by the, the diplomatic corps and all the rest, they pray for the country. But then half of the time, they're always praying for the United States of America yep. because their freedom and their opportunity is preserved only because of a strong America.
It's very profound. It really is. Um, I, I just thought actually it was such a blessing for America as we had the New York Times emerge the 1619 Project and the division and hatred it was trying to portray to have President Trump put together a 1776 commission and again, read it at our website and think about, it gets you down to the core question, what is America? What, what is it? What was it historically where it is today? Um, Bob McEwen, I can't thank you enough for coming thank in. You. Thank you for being here. I'm happy as a pig in slop. Thank you for <laughs> being here. It's an honor to be with you, Debbie. I'm a fan of yours, have been for a long time. I'm honored that you would have me on. Great to have you here. And listeners, I have one more quick topic for today. Uh, and I sent it to Matt, the very wonderful. Uh, 312 billion reasons to reject the coronavirus bill. I just want to say this about that. President Trump was happy to make a deal with the Democrats to get coronavirus relief to unemployed Americans. He even conceded to whatever it was that went back and forth between Nancy Pelosi and President Trump. But the Democrats held back on getting that relief to the Americans who needed it for political gain. But right now, I just want to have this float this by you. We'll talk about it more later in the week. But there's a bill pending now. The Democrats have their idea of what they're going to do in terms of getting coronavirus relief uh, to America's citizens. And my very brilliant husband ran some math for me. I'm going to tell you in a moment. But here's a quick story. In America, in our Congress, a Democrat-controlled Congress, there is a bill. This is Biden's emergency COVID relief bill, which you think would say, oh, good, people who've lost jobs, like our happy friends we talked about yesterday in Carlsbad, California, who just said, you know, we're done listening to the shutdown. We want to work. It was a beautiful thing. But to, to help people who are stuck, the Biden administration came up with a massive $1.9 trillion, trillion, people can't even comprehend what the number is, trillion emergency spending bill to come up uh, a vote in the House of Representatives this week. And so you think, wow, we all must be a lot of money. I mean, 1.9 trillion COVID spending, geez, we're all gonna be rich. But the portion, the amount of money that is in this bill for things unrelated to coronavirus is at least 312 billion. 312 billion, go ahead, yep. 312 billion is about what goes, it's 260 billion goes for COVID. Everything else are special interests. Everything, yeah. everything else is, is to bail out the cities that haven't right. paid in their pension funds, et cetera, et cetera. No, less than 300 billion is actually going to have anything to do with COVID. The rest of it is just plain old stealing. Yeah, I'm glad you jumped in. I will tell you what this, there's analysis by the House managers of, or the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget said at the very least, we put it this way, the very least 312 billion of this has nothing to do at all with COVID. Much more of it goes to all sorts of pet projects, things like uh, giving a billion dollar in payments to a billion dollars in payments to socially disadvantaged farmers. Uh-huh. Okay, half a million, uh, half a billion dollars for art museums, tens of millions to Planned Parenthood, other abortion providers, 100 million for an underground railroad system in San Jose. I mean, the list of things that are just the Democrat wish list, they're sticking in this bill because they can. I'm gonna be talking about this more and make three quick points about today to wrap up the show. Number one, the Democrats who always tell you they're the ones who care about the people of America, who care that they're suffering, they could have done a bill with President Trump still in office to get more money to them. And although you should know there's still of the previous money designated for coronavirus emergency, one trillion in unspent funds. So it's not like the money isn't there, but they could have made a deal, but they didn't because they wanted to hold on to make this kind of deal. And the reason they do these kind of things is because they can. 
because they have the power, because there's no control over their spending, no Republican check, House or Senate, on their spending. They're going to pass these things because they can. But number three, the reason they do these things is to continue to instill in the hearts and minds of Americans who don't pay enough attention that government can fix anything, government has unlimited money, government can fund anything, government can do anything. It is the effort of the left to continue to portray themselves as the saviors of everything, the source of all money, endless money available, and this is what they want to put through. And there will come, I guess this is the fourth point, someday, as they say, the chickens will come home to roost. There is not money to do this. There's funny money, there's money they race, they run through and print more. There's not money to do this. And somebody, in the same way in your family, if you kept spending money you don't have, eventually your family is going to be bankrupt. Your family can't do this. In the same way, America can't do this. And they know this. But right now, the idea of funding all their pet projects, causing themselves, they believe, to become popular in their jurisdictions, among their constituents, to get reelected. This is all about holding on to power. It's all about pet projects. And every single American ought to be writing to their congressman, their senator, and saying, don't you dare sign on to this bill. And actually, Bob, since you're sitting here, Bob McHugh is still here, there was something about um, a, a petition about earmarks, because they're trying to be earmarked. Are you familiar with this already? Yeah. You can. Uh, an effort, an effort to, to say that Congress shouldn't do those things. That's uh, an interesting debate. The the Congress, the Constitution says that there shall be no appropriation except by, by act of Congress, and yet uh, there's a constant competition to say that the the bureaucracy, the swamp, should do it. So it, it's uh, it's uh, an ongoing debate among conservatives and liberals both. Yeah, I think Senator Ted Cruz, one of my faves, uh, is one of the ones who signed on to say, he, he started some petition saying, please sign on saying no earmarks, don't start this, because earmarks give rise to all sort of horse trading and bringing people in and spending they don't want to do in order to get what they want in their thing. So anyway, big budget problems in Washington, but we're going to have to wait another day to discuss this. But so, something good to add about that is that the size of the U.S. budget is $4 billion, $4 trillion, $4 trillion. We have spent $12 trillion in the last two years on this COVID specialties things here. So that's three times the size of an annual budget. Just to, so it has to be in context. And, and so one point, he's going to add $2 trillion. That is as much as ran as six months the entire government of the United States in, in, 1990, in 2019. And that's just one bill. That's not anything else. That's not defense. That's not highways. Not this is just play money that he's doing. And it's play half money. the size of the entire budget just two years ago. And on that note, at the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So Matt the Wonderful has, I believe he has those, so Black History Month and Thomas Sowell. 90-year-old Dr. Thomas Sowell is an American treasure, a public intellectual, prolific writer of columns and books in economics, education, law and justice, wealth and poverty, morality and freedom, has an extraordinary personal life story. Oh yeah, watch this free documentary right on YouTube. Dr. Thomas Sowell, Common Sense in a Senseless World, one hour long, so moving, so impressive. What a fine man he is. Sowell exemplifies Martin Luther King's hope and vision, excellence of character and intellect and wisdom, transcends skin color, unifies and inspires all as members of the human race. Black History Month is, an ideal for, is ideal for celebrating the achievements and brilliance of Dr. Thomas Sowell. And you should follow him on Twitter, he's great. And second, the other one I sent was 312 
billion reasons to reject the coronavirus bill. Main Street Americans, MSAs, want to trust their elected officials, but they wonder why on earth does a COVID relief bill involve any spending beyond COVID relief? Very good question. A $600 check barely helps anyone, yet $312 billion in non-COVID spending is included. And actually, we're hearing from Bob McEwen's more than that. That was the minimum amount that is totally non-COVID. $312 billion is enough just the extra money, $312 billion is enough to give 150 million American adults another $2,000. But Main Street Americans are increasingly feeling no connection whatsoever with the Washington, D.C. ruling class. The ruling class relentless propping up with the myth that there's no limit to the amount of money the federal government can print and spend is criminally irresponsible. What can't continue won't. The bill will eventually come due and Main Street Americans will suffer the consequences. COVID relief bill stokes the desire for a new political party. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America?